0: Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt, sometimes known as Brangelina, are getting a divorce, which is an important story because, actually, I don't know what the end of that sentence is. But news that the star of World War Z was being divorced by the woman whose totally nude sex scene beginning one hour and 37 minutes and 14 seconds into the film Original Sin made me forget what I was saying. Brad Pitt told reporters, quote, I was like totally, totally surprised to discover Angelina was not charmed and delighted by the fact that I was banging my co-stars on other movies. How could she not love the fact that I was smoking so much dope that I finally began to understand why Ocean's 13 is such a classic, classic motion picture, or at least a mind-blowing series of hallucinations passing between my eyelids and an inner universe that extends from my retina to that weird dimension in Interstellar where Matthew McConaughey floated around like an idiot in a part I could have absolutely killed, unquote. Pitt went on to say he was saddened by the breakup and wanted only the best for his children if he had any, which he couldn't remember. But if he did, he wished them well and hoped to see them sometime if he happened to be around where they were. He said he regretted how much he'd hurt Angelina and had always thought he was just so hot and rich that she would consider herself lucky to have him whatever he did. In an interview with Variety, Pitt added, quote, look at this face. Look how handsome it is. How can my wife not love it? My mistress loves it. Or maybe my wife loves it and my mistress doesn't. I always get those two confused. Which is the one who's divorcing me? Unquote. As for Angelina Jolie, she said she had been absolutely shocked to find that her husband was sleeping with other women who hadn't adopted 47 handicapped children and weren't constantly yammering on about poverty in some godforsaken hellhole in who knows where Africa or someplace instead of making him dinner. She told the Hollywood reporter, quote, I never imagined when I stole Brad away from Jennifer Aniston that he could be unfaithful. And I don't understand why he would run off with some young chippy with a sense of humor when he could be with someone who takes herself as seriously as I do. I just assumed he married me because he cared about world peace. He said something about peace, I remember. You're a nice piece. I think it was. I feel so betrayed. News of the Brangelina breakup broke the hearts of the couple's fans and many other people with nothing better to think about. Arguments broke out on Twitter about which of the stars should now be called Bran and which one Jelena. As one fan put it, quote, I am absolutely devastated to find that my life is so empty I'm paying attention to the crappy love lives of essentially boring people who don't know I exist. Also because there won't be a sequel to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mostly it's about the sequel. Unquote. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, dipsy topsy the world is a bitty-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah! The greatest video ever made. <laughs> That's what that bar none. That is the greatest. And we yesterday I paid tribute to Cynthia Angulo, whose incredible uh, graphics those are. But I forgot Lindsay before she left. Lindsay put in so much work on the music on this. It just it, incredible uh, orchestration and everything. And of course the Daily Wire singers, a professional group who they tour constantly. And you know <laughs> we, were just, we were just lucky to be able to get them. And if you subscribe to the Daily Wire. You cheap so and so. You could have watched, you could not only watch that, but you could watch the entire show on the Daily Wire uh, website. Uh, You can watch 15 minutes of it on Facebook or YouTube, and then we cut you off like the cheap nothings that you are and you have to get us on itunes and the soundcloud or and you know the other reason to subscribe of course is the mailbag for a lousy eight bucks you not only get me you get me for a dollar 37 and then the rest goes to ben shapiro and also you get to be in the mailbag and you do get ben show as well all right uh you know oh i did my first facebook live yesterday that's, yeah, it was very. You know, you had it with the phone and everything. It was like it, the world of wonders, man. It was like <laughs> suddenly people are actually. That was to pitch my book, *The Great Good Thing*: A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. And now, listen even if you didn't pre-order it, you have to buy it now because now I'm being attacked by Jews. I'm already being attacked by anti-Semites. Really, I feel like it's a pincer movement. I get attacked by the alt-right anti-Semites who are calling me, you dirty Jew. And now the Jews are writing articles on, like, websites that I contribute to. These are like my colleagues, you know. What do you mean you became a Christian? You can't do that. One guy said, you can't become a Christian until you're seriously a Jew. And I thought, well, you know, if I knew you made the rules, I would have checked in with you first. But I thought you were just some guy you know so so anyway you have to buy the book because uh, you have to you know save me from, <laughs> from the fact that I'm being overrun All right. And you know, the reason I wrote this book, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I feel that the narrative is such a powerful force. You call it the intellectual current, the intellectual atmosphere of the time, just this world we live in. I always think about George Washington, this man of incredible virtue who gave away a kingdom. Nobody in in history has ever given away a kingdom. He held it in his hands and he said, nope, I want you to be free. Take the kingdom away. And he had that much virtue. And yet when his slaves escaped, he was like, Why'd they escape? We treated them so well. He, he didn't understand. That's because he was immersed in the intellectual atmosphere of his time, and we all are, and I feel the in- intellectual atmosphere of our time is relentlessly secular, relentlessly unbelieving, and I wanted to show how one person came out of that atmosphere in Hollywood and New York, where it's thick as it can possibly be. But that narrative also applies to the stuff that's going on today. They've now declared a state of emergency in Charlotte, North Carolina, where essentially black people, black uh, blacks are rioting uh, because a thug with a gun was killed by police when he turned to them with the gun, which I always thought was kind of, you know, what is supposed to happen, basically. Uh, there's one guy has been, uh, one citizen has been shot by another citizen and is in critical condition. I don't think he's died, but he was on life support last t- time. I checked. Uh, The dashboard video shows this guy, Keith Scott, they were trying to exercise a warrant. Keith Scott was not the guy the warrant was for. They told him to get out of the car so they could check him out. He stepped out with the gun, and one of the cops shot him. And the police chief, Kerr Putney, explained to reporters that he didn't – they asked him, did he have to – did he point the gun directly at the police officer, like the cop is supposed to wait and find out. And uh, Chief Putney explains – what the law is about this.
1: The totality of the situation is what carries the day. So if I'm making gestures, if I'm focusing in, if I'm turning my body in a certain way to look aggressive and to give you the, um, uh, the understanding that an imminent threat is very, very likely, uh, and I'm armed, all of those things in, uh, in um, conjunction with one another can still give you that perceived threat under North Carolina law.
0: Okay, obviously, I mean that makes sense to anybody who's paying an attention, guy. You know, you're out there, you're trying to get home to your wife and kids, you're trying to keep the neighborhood safe, but also not get blown away by some nutbag or some thug with a gun. You know, guy steps out of the. I mean, think about it for a minute. The police say, "Would you, sir? Would you step out of the car, please?" Yeah, and I'm going to bring my gun with me. You know, what do you mean you're going to shoot me? I, you know, I don't get it. All right, so now let's just go back and remember. I, I want to go back in time just a little bit. This is just a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. So, let's not forget that Barack Obama has lent credence to this Black Lives Matter hate movement from the start. He is the guy who has emphasized every time a black officer, this this guy, the officer was black here too, but he has emphasized that black people are being mowed down by police, which statistics show is absolutely untrue, that black, that cops are much more likely to use force against white people, or use deadly force against white people. But, you know, The President of the United States has given credence to this movement. He was questioned in Madrid, Spain, because this President loves to go overseas and diss his country, and he was questioned about Black Lives Matter, and I want you to listen to his answer that he gave, uh, you know, about the riots growing out of Black Lives Matter.
2: One of the great things about America is that individual citizens and groups of citizens can petition their government, can protest, can uh, speak truth to power. Uh, And that is sometimes messy and controversial. But because of that ability to protest and (laughs) engage in free speech, uh, America over time has gotten better. Uh, We've all benefited from that. the abolition movement was contentious. The effort for women to get the right to vote was contentious and messy. Uh, There were times when activists uh, might have engaged in rhetoric that was overheated and uh, occasionally counterproductive, but the point was to raise issues. Uh, so that we as a society could grapple with them. (laughs)
0: So it's the abolition movement, it's the women's rights movement, and it gets just a a little bit contentious and messy. Let's take a look at how contentious and messy this gets. That's a little contentious, a little messy yeah. there. You know, for those of you who couldn't see it, uh, that was a mob of uh, black rioters uh, kicking the living daylights out of a white man who was begging them for mercy, begging for mercy. So that was kind of like the suffragettes did that. You know, when they wanted the vote, you know, they would just go out and they would find some, some guy and, you know, kick him to death. And, uh, you know, while he begged for mercy, abolition. You know, let, let's begin. We should begin with the premise here. I mean, abolition was to stop slavery. People were being held slaves. The suffragettes were fighting to get the franchise. Women wanted the right to vote. These people are complaining because a guy with a gun, waving gun at the police, was shot by the cops. Okay, that's that's the deal here. You know, my friend Glenn Reynolds, who is does the wonderful Instapundit site, just a terrific, uh, one of the original major blogs, basically. He has been suspended from Twitter because he saw rioters blocking traffic on the highways at, in, uh, in Charlotte, and he tweeted, run them over. Run them over because what happens when the, you stop the cars, they surround you, they drag you out of the car, they rock your car, they can turn over the car. And they, so he said, just run over. So they suspended him from Twitter. They don't suspend, you know. There are Twitter accounts with the title, F the police. I checked this morning. They're not suspended. There are horrible things being said about white people. They're not suspended. This is the control of the narrative. The narrative has to be that these people are somehow oppressed, that they, that, this is, that this issue has legitimacy. Every fact we have, everything we know, and we had Heather McDonald on who has studied this stuff and reported on it and gone into the streets and reported on it. Everything we know shows that this narrative is false. This is a false narrative. The police are not killing black people, uh, you know, in some untoward way. And again, there's so many people in this country, so many police officers in in this country, so many incidents in this country that the couple of times a year that something goes wrong and somebody does something, a lot of times it may be just they made a mistake in the moment of danger but the assumption that because one person is black and the other person is white, race was an issue is just a false narrative assumption. And, of course, now Hillary Clinton, the polls are closing on her. She's still ahead, according to The Wall Street Journal. I don't know how she's – it just speaks about who, who these two people are, that she's still ahead, but she is clinging to her lead. So now she goes on and she seizes on this, and she thinks she can play this narrative to gain votes. Now, this is her speaking – Yeah, so here's her seizing on the Black Lives Matter narrative.
3: I need to say something about two very upsetting incidents that took place over the past few days. First, an unarmed man named Terrence Crutcher was shot and killed by a police officer in Tulsa. Then a man named Keith Lamont Scott was shot and killed by a police officer in Charlotte. I'm sending condolences and prayers to their families. I know a lot of you are as well. There is still much we don't know about what happened in both incidents, but we do know that we have two more names to add to a list of African-Americans killed by police officers in these encounters. It's unbearable and it needs to become intolerable. We also saw the targeting of police officers in philadelphia last week and last night in charlotte twelve officers were injured in demonstrations following keith lamont scott's death everyday police officers across our country are serving with extraordinary courage honor and skill
0: now i wanted to play that whole thing i didn't want to isolate the part where she says it's intolerable that guys with guns are being shot by officers with guns I, I can tolerate that by the way. I have, no, I have no problem with that. I sleep better at night in fact. I, I find it very very tolerable when police officers kill guy, random guys getting out of their cars waving guns at them. I can, fully tolerate that. But then she goes on to do this, the Democrat two-step, which is so you can go back and look at that and say, yeah, but I didn't say you should go out and kill cops in Dallas. Obama does this too. I said nice things about the police too, but there is no moral equivalence. I mean, think back for a minute to Kerr Putney, the police chief we saw at at the opening of the show. Think back to David Brown, the massively great uh, police chief in Dallas. He was the police chief in Dallas. I'll get back to that in a minute. And then just look at this is a guy who says that he is... Is the dead guy's brother, Lamont Scott's brother. Th- this is the other side.
1: Anything we should know? No, just know that all white people are fing devils.
3: And make sure you air that one. Air that
1: f- don't take that. All one white cops are fing devils and white people.
0: It wasn't a white cop who shot this guy. It was a black cop who shot the guy. I mean, what, what is this about? And this is, this is what is driving me crazy is these guys, these uh, black police officers and black police chiefs who are so obviously all-American heroes are, are being lumped in with guys like that. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to The Daily Wire and hear the rest. All right, we're back. Uh, you know, it, it drives me crazy that all American heroes like Kerr Putney and David Brown in Dallas, and probably the policeman who, who shot this guy are being made equivalent with this and they're being made white. That guy said white cops are devils. So the the message here, the message here is if you're an all-American hero whose skin happens to be brown, you're instantaneously white. The only legitimate black people according to these leftists are the thugs. It's it's an insane narrative. It's a narrative of absolute craziness. You know David Browns uh, according to Wikipedia, this this is the police chief we saw in Dallas who was so uplifting and so uh, obviously just, uh, you know, just destroyed when police officers were assassinated in Dallas uh you know his his son was killed by police uh, his son had a uh, bipolar disorder and he went off with a gun and cops killed him and and brown retired you know weeks after the Dallas shootings i mean who wouldn't he, they said he wasn't forced out and i don't know why he should be forced out but i'm I, i'm guessing you know that it had something to do with this terrible situation and the sen- the fact that these heroes these heroes are being lumped in with these thugs who are considered by the left to be officially black, where these guys are just white cops who are devils. You know, these these black guys who are cops are white guys. It, it, it's, it's nuts. So this is why Alfonso Rachel has a new uh, video out. If you don't remember, I, how can you not remember Zoe? He's one of the great video makers. You know, he started making vids in his basement and uh, Andrew Breitbart got him and brought him out. And of course, PJ Media stole him from Breitbart and put him up. Uh, now he has a new thing that he's making himself called Zoloft. <laughs> it's Zoe in his loft. So it's Zoloft. And, and and this is his response to Barack Obama saying that if you want to, it'll be a personal insult to him if you don't vote for Hillary. Uh, if Black people don't vote for Hillary. This is Zoe's response.
1: I'm chilling this past Sunday morning and I get a phone call from BBC World Service London Want to know my thoughts on Obama saying he would take it as a personal insult if blacks didn't get out there and vote for the Democrat ticket. Ha! <laughs> he goes on to display how self-focused he is by saying if you want to give me a good send off, get out there and vote and vote Democrat, of course. Oh, well, Mr. Obama, I don't know if I can accommodate you there. Matter of fact, you can take that Democrat ticket and stick it up your personal insult. You're not entitled to my vote. Now, let me say that all I expect from the government is to protect my God-given rights, not provide for me. So I'm not one of those who ask politicians, what are you gonna do for me? What you gonna do for black folks? Now that being said, Obama was propped up by the Democrat party to convince the black community That the Democrat Party is looking out for black folks. Yet the black community now is more ticked off than they've been in a long time. And then President Obama has the nerve to step up there and talk to the black community like they owe him a good send-off. Obama is flat out showing you that it was never about you. It was always about him.
0: Well, that's exactly it. It's always about them. It's about their votes. It's about their narrative. It's about helping them get elected while your neighborhood burns. You know, I mean, most of the people in those neighborhoods are good people, right? You know, most of the people are law-abiding people whose neighborhoods now are destroyed, whose stores are destroyed, whose shops will— ne- You know, who's going to come back and do business in a neighborhood like that? It took Baltimore. Baltimore still hasn't rebuilt after the riots. You know, it's it, it, this is an incredible thing that they're doing, and it's all narrative because the problem— isn't there. The prob- The facts show, the numbers show, the problem itself isn't there. And a lot of riots start like this. And so now you hear Obama talking, and he'll say, well, people feel, they feel that they're being treated unjustly. Yeah, because you made them feel that way. You told them that. You sold that narrative, and now the narrative itself is a problem. And only guys with the courage of an Alfonso Rachel, and, and guys like me who are too stupid to care what people think about me, you know, are willing to sit there and say, you know, The the truth that the the heroes, I don't understand why the heroes turn white the minute they become heroes and the thugs stay black. I don't get that. I just don't get it. So, of course, the, the thing you have to understand is when I was talking about George Washington before and the way narrative sweeps you away, even if you're a good person, even if you know, even if you know the narrative is wrong, it sweeps you away. And that is why all the forces of the left are now combining to make sure that narrative stays in place. You know, there's this new video made by Josh Whedon. He's the guy. Josh Whedon's a strange guy because he made that uh, Firefly, which is a great libertarian TV show, and they made it into a movie. Right? What was the movie called? Serenity. Serenity. Right. That's right. Serenity. And that. And it, the great libertarian stuff. And yet, he's constantly coming out with these liberal statements. So he gets Robert Downey Jr., who has made some very conservative statements in the past. Scarlett Johansson, all these stars to make this new video. Here's a little piece of it, and it looks like it starts out, it looks like it's going to be a register-to-vote video, and then it goes terribly, terribly wrong. On Tuesday, November 8th, this country will make one of the most important... The most important... The most important decisions in its history. You have a
3: chance... You have an obligation... To be a part of that decision. You might think it's not important. You might think you're not important. But that's not true. And the only way we can
0: prove that to you is by having lots of famous people. Lots of famous people.
3: Lots and lots of famous people. Just a sh- ton of famous people. Repeating how important. 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 Important.
0: Important. Mm. important. How important it is.
1: Register. Register. Register.
3: Vote. There's so many famous people. <laughs> Some of us aren't as famous, but still pretty famous. Like, we have seen us somewhere.
1: Sometimes a not famous person will be mixed in with the famous
3: ones. They drive the message home. Because of their unpolished sincerity. Their...
1: Unpolished sincerity. But you only get this many famous people together if the issue is... One that truly matters to all of us.
3: A disease, or... Ecological
1: crisis, or... A racist, abusive coward who could permanently damage the fabric of our society. Do the math. And do we really want to give nuclear weapons to a man whose signature move is firing... Firing... Firing things?
3: But we can end this nightmare before it begins.
1: We can save the day.
0: And it goes on and on and on like that. And I want you to notice, by the way, the humor and self-deprecation of all these famous people, which is to counter the fact that we know these people... We know who these people are, and we don't like what they stand for. It's just like Obama. Obama is like a a, a celebrity because we like him. People like him. His his popularity ratings go up, but we don't like his policies. We don't like what he's actually doing, which you can tell because in the midterm elections, when he's not on the ballot, he loses. His policies lose, and all over the country where you have local elections— Republicans and conservatives are being elected to governorships and to the state houses and all this stuff. So these guys are out there. That self-deprecation thing is trying to outstrip the narrative, outstrip the truth that we understand who these guys are. That's why I started, by the way, making fun of Brangelina. It's not like I have anything against them. I don't know who they are. All I know is that they're very attractive, very talented people, but it doesn't make them good people. It doesn't make them wise people. It doesn't make them smart people. They may be great people and stupid. They may be great people and unwise. They may be bad people who don't know how to organize their lives and don't know how to have personal relations. You know, talented people not all of them, but talented people do tend to be broken people. You know, that that's that's how a lot of their uh, what inspires a lot of their talent. Why should they be telling us what to do? And when they change, you know, when they when they go off on the other side, they get hammered the way Jimmy Fallon was hammered when he tussled Trump's hair. Did we play that before? I, no, we didn't. Let's let's play that, that clip. This is Fallon talking to Trump. People went nuts when they saw it.
1: Donald, I, I want to ask you, because the next time I see you you, you, you could be the President of the United States. I just wanted to know if there's something we could do that's just not presidential, really, or something that, that we can do now that we're just both civilians. Like... <laughs> like what? <laughs> this is... Can I... I'm, I'm not liking the sound <laughs> of this. <laughs> Go ahead. Can I mess your hair up? The answer is
0: yes, but the people in New Hampshire where I'm going to be in about an hour from now, I hope they're going to understand.
1: Okay. <laughs> you say yes? Go ahead. <laughs> With my hair hairspray.
0: People went nuts. They hammered Fallon when one of the other night, uh, late night comedians came on and attacked Trump. They said, he's the anti-Jimmy F- I mean, Fallon is just an easygoing, nice guy. His shtick is non-political. His shtick is being friendly to everybody. There's now this story out, oh, that he gave a bunch of softballs to Hillary, you know, to say that he was giving her softballs too. But that's not true. In that skit, he was still making, he started to make fun of Trump. He said, this is what I gave Trump, and it was a bunch of softball, so he was almost apologizing for the fact that he didn't attack the guy when he came on his entertainment show. You know, so... The the narrative is under very, very tight control. If you stray from the fold, you get shot down. If you're Glenn Reynolds, you get banned from Twitter. And let me tell you, in Hollywood, you lose work. You don't get invited to the parties. You don't get to sleep with the same people. You don't get the same awards. You're done. You are done. The narrative is under tight control. Here is Ross Douthat, the one Columnist in the New York Times, the one op-ed writer in the New York Times who is not a stone idiot. Who is I I call the New York Times op-ed page Knucklehead Row, Knucklehead Row. They're all guys with big degrees and nice suits who could not find their way out of a corner if they walked into it. They're like those wind-up dolls that get stuck in the corner. They are the stupidest bunch of smart people I have ever read, except for Ross Douthat, who I don't always agree with. It has nothing to do with that, but he finally, finally, is picking up on this thing that is is going on to control the narrative. When the histories of the Trump era are written from exile in Justin Trudeau's Canada, he begins, they will record that it was none other than Jimmy Fallon who brought down the republic – or, so you might have thought at least, listening to the furious liberal reaction to Fallon's willingness to treat Donald Trump like any other late-night guest last week, kidding around with him, mussing up his comb over, and steering clear of anything would convey to late-night television viewers that Trump is actually beyond the pale. But the Democrats' problem in the age of Trump isn't really Jimmy Fallon. Its problem is Samantha B. She's one of the late-night leftists, or all of them not be alone, of course, but the entire phenomenon that she embodies, the rapid colonization of new cultural territory by an ascendant social liberalism. It isn't just late night TV, cultural arenas and institutions that were always liberal are being prodded or dragged further to the left. Award shows are being pushed to shed their genteel limousine liberalism and embrace the race, gender, sexual identity agenda in full. Colleges and universities are increasingly acting as indoctrinators, for that same agenda, shifting their already lefty consensus under activist pressure. There's a growing—so what he goes on to say is that this s- segregates the left from other opinions, And he says there's a growing constituency for whom right-wing ideas are so alien or triggering, left-wing orthodoxy so pervasive and unquestioned that supporting a candidate like Hillary Clinton looks like a needless form of compromise. And he says at the same time, outside the liberal tent, the feeling of being suffocated by the left's cultural dominance is turning voting Republican into an act of cultural rebellion, which may be one reason the Obama years, so good for liberalism in the culture, have seen sharp sharp GOP gains at every level of the country's government. We are the insurgency movement. This is the '60s for conservatives. We are somebody. Somebody compared Trump to punk rock the other day because he is the rebellion. Even though you know we here at the Daily Wire keep complaining about how liberal he is, and I do complain about how liberal he is, and about his manners, and about the the kind of strongman uh, you know atmosphere that hangs around him. But but he is striking back against that narrative, which is a good in and of itself, and this is why Hillary is so confused. Watch this, she's getting hysterical.
3: And I will fight back against so-called right to work. Right to work is wrong for workers and wrong for America. Now, having said all this, why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Well, the choice for working families has never been clearer. I need your help to get Donald Trump's record out to everybody. Nobody should be fooled. He proudly declared himself 100% right to work. He even hired a union.
0: When she says I'm counting on you, she's talking to the press. She's talking to the entertainment industry. Get that message out. Don't don't ask me tough questions about what a cheat, what a liar, what a you know greedy, ambitious, empty, soulless, and sick person I am. Don't ask me about that stuff. Get the message out about Trump. And hey, I'm all for getting the message out about Trump. But come on. Well, look. You know it's going to be really interesting. Monday is the debate. We're going to cover it. We'll all be there to watch. And we will see. We will see whether they allow. Trump and Hillary to go head to head in the cage match that everybody wants to see, or whether they're gonna get in there and force that narrative down as they did with Candy Crowley during the Obama Mitt Romney debates. We're gonna see, because if they let Trump and Hillary go head to head, nobody, nobody knows how that's gonna turn out. All right, stuff I like. I gotta play this. I love this. This is a co- What's that? Oh oh yes. Uh, yeah? All right. Yeah, we got a new graphic for Stuff I Like, and I, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. This is this is so new and beautiful. I can't stand it anymore. Anyway, all right. I got to play this. This is unbelievable. It's got about like 7 million hits on YouTube. This is a cover of Adele's song, Send My Love, with a group of a cappella singers coming uh, K-H-S, one of them is called, Sam Swee, he's kind of a, he's a YouTube star, Sam Swee has this, he has a voice like an angel, he really does. Madeline Bailey and Alex G, and they're sitting, if you can't see it, they're sitting in a park, you should go on YouTube and see it, and they're playing four-person patty cake. So each of two people is playing patty cake with each other, and then they're playing patty cake among them, and that's the rhythm that you hear in back of their incredible singing.
3: Was all you,
1: None of it. Mean. You put your hands on on my body and told me. Mm, you told me you were ready for the big one, for the big job. I'd be your last love, everlasting you and me. Mm, that was what you told me.
0: Great. If I had if I had my way, that's all people would do is stuff like that. You know, it's like, you know, remember that line in Jaws where he says all sharks do is swim, eat and make baby sharks. If I had my way, all people would do is eat, make baby people and then make beautiful stuff like that. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, we got people who got to fix things. They got to show how powerful and great they are and they make a mess out of everything. All right. We will be back to cover the debates. I'm sorry for the short week, but it's only a Clavenless weekend. What could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Don't answer that. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. We'll be back on Monday.